Hello from the members of First United Methodist Church in Royce City. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you find it meaningful and relevant. You're invited to join us for worship anytime, and you can learn more about our worship options, location, and small group opportunities by visiting our website, fumcroycecity.org. May God bless you as you listen to His Word proclaimed. I am not Pastor Chris Everson. For those of you who were make, expecting uh, Pastor Chris up here today, um, I'm Dean Gilkinson, one of the members uh, of the church here, and uh, I'm honored to be in, in this place to speak today. Um, I just, uh, we, of course, as all of us are, wishing Pastor Chris Tracy and the other members of his family um, an opportunity uh, to grieve and to heal. I want to thank Pastor Chris and the SPRC for this opportunity to speak to you. You may not feel the same appreciation, and you are welcome to share that with Pastor Chris once he returns. (laughs) But if you remember, back in February when I was in this position, I did tell you to consider that this is my way of helping with pastor appreciation, okay? So uh, just remember that. That's, That's my contribution to that. Will you please join me in prayer? Father... May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So, yesterday morning, um, yesterday morning, it, it, uh, I was asked if I could help uh, with the service today. Um, and of course I said yes. Uh, not because I like to speak to you, although I do like to talk a lot. Um, but because, because it's my way to help, as I know all of you want to help, no matter how we can. Um, so I had a message in mind, and I shared it with my wife. I said, you know, this is what I'm going to speak on. By golly, I know exactly what I'm going to work on. And for two hours, I worked and I worked and I worked. And the one thing I forgot to do The one thing I didn't do earnestly enough was to say, God, what would you like me to speak on? So it's going to be a mixture here today. Most of this is a script that I found uh, out as I was doing my research for my original project. Um, My original uh, message today was going to be on the words, Hosanna, because it is so powerful. I actually, I wonder if we could try this. Um, pretend you are seven years old. I know there are some out there. Charlie's not here to, to lead the way on this. But I want you to take the abandonment. If you will, just, just put yourself as a seven-year-old at a soccer match or a football game when your team has just scored the winning goal, the winning point to come ahead. Because that's what this was to the people when Jesus came riding into town. When Jesus came riding into town and they yelled out, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, they they weren't just singing it, they weren't saying it, they were yelling it. And I just wonder if you could, if you could just practice with me one time, and I'm not going to ask you to do this again during during the message, so don't worry about that, but I, I, I just want us to put ourselves for just a moment it may be the way, it may be the way 
that the people were of the time, that the crowds of people, hundreds of thousands of people in Jerusalem for Passover, when Jesus rode into town, fulfilling the message, riding on the colt. So if you will please, again, revert back. Some of us have to go back, way back. Get back into your seven-year-old inner self. And if you will with me, when I say three, let's exclaim, exclamation point exclaim Hosanna one two three Hosanna amen amen that's <laughs> whoo and I know some of you were holding back I know that but that's what it was like that's what it was like when you were standing there that's that's what it was like and it wasn't one Hosanna it was Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. People were out of breath. Hosanna. And guess what? That's not what my message is about today. But I wanted to bring that to you today. So this uh, message is entitled, A Ride Fit for a King. And I'll be doing a lot of reading. So, but it should go fairly fast. Um, there was a pastor's son who came to, uh, came to him and asked if he could use his dad's car. And the pastor uh, looked at, his, at the young man and he said, I'll tell you what, I'll let you use the car if you do three things. He said, the first is, these three requirements, the first is that you get your grades up. They're not where they need to be. The second is, I want you to keep your room clean. And the third one is to get a haircut. So the preacher's son became working, uh, began working very hard, and after a period of time, he went back to his dad to ask him if he could borrow the keys to the car. Hey, can I take the car out, Dad? And his dad said, well, let me see. Did you, did you do what you were told? Did you do what we agreed to? And he said, of course I did. He said, my grades are up, A and B. His dad said, that's right. He said, in my room, my room hasn't been that clean for six solid weeks than it's ever been in his life. He said, I've cleaned everything. I've kept it clean up. And his father said, that's absolutely true. He said, so, Dad, Dad, can I get the keys? He said, uh, there were three things. Remember what the third one was? Remember I said to get a haircut? And he said, but, he looked at that and he said, but dad, Jesus had long hair. <laughs> and he said, you're absolutely right about that, son. You're absolutely right. But he didn't reach in his pocket to the keys because they remember what he said. He said, yes, and he did. But outside of that one donkey ride, he walked everywhere he went. <laughs> So any, gar, any car guy will tell you that they live for the moment when somebody says to them, nice ride. However, there's no more glorious ride than that donkey ride that Jesus rode into Jerusalem. From Matthew's account of the triumphal entry, we learned that Jesus' ride was a ride of sacrifice, a ride for the working man, a ride that was the center of attention. And so now I'm going to go ahead and I would like to read the scripture for the day. Now it's very similar. It comes from Matthew. And it's Matthew's version of, of selecting the ride, the chariot. So if you will, if we will go ahead and bring up on the screen, if you will bring up our uh, scripture lesson for the day. This comes from the book of Matthew. Our one earlier today came from the book of Luke, I believe. Is that correct? Okay. So this is a little different. So here are the words of the Lord. As they approached Jerusalem, came to Bethage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there, with her colt by her. 
untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will, be, he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them, and they brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the ground, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the, on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted. Notice what it says. It says they shouted. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. So the first thing we, want to, we learned about Jesus is that it was a rite of sacrifice. Remember our original lesson for today was our God is self-sacrificing. The second was it is a donkey and it's cold. Now, Jesus' road to the cross begins in a most unusual way, especially for Jesus. Matthew begins with, As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the Mount of Bethage on the Mount of Olives, and Jesus sent two on ahead. Now, the Mount of Olives is approximately 2,700 feet in elevation and was about a Sabbath day's journey, about five-eighths of a mile from Jerusalem. The Jews had used an important event in their history to determine this distance. When Israel passed over Jordan... It was the space between the Ark of the Covenant and the main body of the people. Well, the small village of Bethage, literally the house of unripe figs, was on the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives near Jerusalem. It was between Bethany and Jerusalem, as both Mark and Luke mention. According to the Halakha, the legal traditions of Judaism, Bethphage was part of Jerusalem, although it was situated in its outermost part. Its close affiliation with Jerusalem permitted one to celebrate Passover there. Well, Jesus arrives in Bethany six days prior to Passover on Friday, the 8th of Nisan. He spent the Sabbath there, and on the first day of the week, Sunday, the 10th, five days before his death, he entered Jerusalem seated upon a donkey. The 10th of Nisan was also the day on which the Passover lamb was selected. On this day, Jesus symbolically presented himself to the people as the Messiah. This presentation anticipated his death as the Passover Lamb of God. Another one of those not coincidences, right? The identity of the two disciples sent off by Jesus is really not known, but Jesus said to them, go to the village over there, and as soon as, as you enter it, you will see a donkey and, and tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you are doing, just say, the Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. Some encounters think that that may have been, some interpretations say that that uh, person that he'd sent them to might have been uh, a follower of Jesus, might have been an acquaintance of Jesus. Others don't say that at all. So it's left to our, left to our understanding and our mystery as, as to what happened here or why this, this person would have given up this, uh, this donkey. The village over there uh, must mean Bethvage. The Lord Jesus, knowing by the Spirit uh, what his disciples would encounter in the garden, gave them clear instructions about getting a donkey. Bring them to me refers to the donkey and her colt. 
because the donkey and, his, and the young were naturally inseparable. From this text and many others, it is clear that Jesus was always in control of the events that affected his life. He initiated his own coronation when he sent two disciples to procure the mount on which he would ride into Jerusalem. He thereby set the motion a series of climactic events that culminated in the, the voluntary gracious sacrifice of himself on the cross that had been divinely planned uh, from eternity past. Can you repeat with this with me? Our God is self-sacrificing. Our God is self-sacrificing. Make no mistake, from beginning to end, that the Gospels completely belie the contention that many liberal interpreters that Jesus was carried away by the enthusiasm of the mob and became caught up in a tragic web of religious and political intrigue. They caught him by surprise. That's not the way that happened. He was not a well-meaning moral teacher who went too far in ranking the Jewish leaders and was helplessly swept away to an untimely execution. That's not the way that happened. He planned this. It is no surprise that the owner objected to their taking the animals, for these were usually working animals and therefore valuable in an agricultural society. But neither should it be a surprise that he permitted them to be, take the animals when he learned who wanted them. This may imply, again, as I said, that that the man was a disciple, a likely conclusion since Jesus knew so many people in and around Jerusalem. Mark's gospel suggests that he, who was to send the animal, may not have been the owner, uh, adds that the animal that was one on which no one had ever sat, it was not necessary for a king to ride on an animal never ridden before. What I'm saying is that in this case, it, it was not, it didn't have to be an animal that had never been ridden on for a king to ride into town. That was not the requirement. But only unused animals could be used for sacred purposes. So understand, Jesus wasn't just a king riding into town. He was the Messiah. This seems to make a connection with the early, uh, earliest prophecies of Zechariah, which shows the Messiah as first priest, then king. So when he rode into town, again, the colt, that new, new colt was not a requirement for a king to ride into town, but it was for the Messiah. It was a sacred purpose. Tell the people of Israel, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. So everything Jesus did, especially his role as the humble Messiah, Prince of Peace, was in accordance with the words of the prophet Zechariah. The disciples did not actually realize this at the time. Of course, Jesus knew his prophecy, and he realized he was fulfilling it. In fact, this was a deliberate fulfillment. It was the day of Jesus' self-declaration. Up to this time, he had avoided any public declaration of his messiahship. He had withdrawn again and again, lest people would attempt to make him king. Do you remember all the references in, uh, we have up to this time? All the healings that happened, all the things, the miracles he performed. How many times did Jesus say, Go and don't tell anyone. How many times did he tell his disciples, not yet, don't tell them who I am yet? Remember those stories? Remember those times? Many, many times. But today, today he chooses to ride into the city. Today he chooses to fulfill prophecy. But now he was ready to make his true identity clear. He was ready to go to the cross. Our God is self-sacrificing. Matthew explains Jesus' entire life and ministry were marked by two overriding purposes. 
to do his heavenly Father's will and to fulfill the Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah's first coming. It seems out of place and totally inappropriate that any king, much less the king of kings, should make his triumphant entry mounted on a donkey rather than a beautiful white stallion or in a regal chariot. But that is what God's prophet predicted, and that is what God's son did, because that was the divine plan. He did not, int he, he did not intend to come in earthly splendor or to reign in earthly power. He did not come in wealth but in poverty. He did not come in grandeur, but in meekness. And he did not come to slay Israel's enemies, but to save all mankind. The incarnation was the time of his humiliation, not the time of his glorification. I'll say that again. The incarnation was the time of his humiliation, not the time of his glorification. Because he was the king like no other king, his coronation was like no other coronation. By the standards and purposes of the of earth's kings, Jesus' entry into Jerusalem was anything but triumphant. But by the standards and purposes of God, it was exactly as he wanted it to be. The next section is titled, Willing to Give Up. God is self-sacrificing. Another story in January 2001 Seiko Sakamoto, a Japanese plasterer in a Tokyo subway station, fell into the path of an oncoming train. Lee Su Hyun, a Korean student in Japan, leaped onto the tracks to save Sakamoto. Both Hyun and Sakamoto were killed. This selfless act by the Korean student on behalf of the Japanese laborer has caused many, had caused many people in Japan to reconsider their long-held prejudices against Koreans. Strong feelings of distrust between the two countries go back to World War I atrocities that the Japanese inflicted on Koreans. Many Japanese people, including the Prime Minister of Japan, have openly expressed sorrow over their stereotypes of Koreans and have begun to talk about reconciliation. Nubaki Fujigoto, 62 of Japan, says, I felt a kind of shame a young foreigner sacrificed his life for a Japanese. This is not an easy thing to do. By giving his one and only son, God took the initiative in healing our broken relationship. He made the supreme sacrifice with us that we might be reconciled to him. Our God is self-sacrificing. Jesus' ride into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday was his beginning of the road to the ultimate sacrifice. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Jesus' ride into Jerusalem shows sacrifice on the part of two people, the owner of the donkey and Jesus himself. The donkey's owner was sacrificing his prized work animal with no guarantee of ever getting it back, but was willing to give it up because the Lord needed it. For Jesus, it was the beginning of his road to the ultimate sacrifice, his own life. In doing so, both the owner of the donkey and Jesus showed us an example of what we should do. Our God is self-sacrificing. <clears throat> so some questions for you. What have you sacrificed today? 
What have you sacrificed lately? Have you willingly laid down something of value to you because someone else had need of it? Have you willingly laid down something because of the church needed it? Have you willingly laid down something because the Lord needed it? Is Jesus more important to you than your stuff? Is Jesus more important to you than your checkbook? What are you willing to sacrifice for him when he sacrificed all for you? Not only was Jesus' ride one of sacrifice, but it was a ride for a working man. As Jesus began his way toward Jerusalem, things get more interesting. In verses 6 and 7, Matthew tells us, The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. The disciples obeyed Jesus' word without questioning him, even though they did not fully understand what was taking place. They acknowledged him as their master. None of the disciples, including the two sent for the donkey, understood the Lord's purpose in this or in the other events of the coming week. These things his disciples did not understand at first. John said, but when Jesus was glorified, when they remembered all these things were written of him and that they had done these things to him. But two obediently went and did just as Jesus had directed them and brought the donkey and colt. Because they had no blankets to pad the animal's backs and were not sure which one he would ride, they laid on both of their garments on which Jesus sat. Jesus chose the colt, the smallest and lowliest of the two, and mounted it with the help of the disciples. In contrast to earthly kings who used horses, chariots, and other symbols of war to show their might, this king distinguished himself by riding upon a donkey, a simple beast of the common person, often used for transportation and carrying loads during times of peace. Donkeys were not usually used for warfare. Jesus came to the world as the prince of peace, making peace between God and man. The Messiah did not flaunt his power. He was a humble ruler who trusted in God. The people going up the opposite hill into Jerusalem would often chant Psalm 24. Now, the people we're talking about here, the people were the disciples uh, a lot of times and those going to uh, Passover. The people going up the opposite hill into Jerusalem would often chant Psalm 24 with emphasis on verses 3 through 6 that says, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who, who shall stand in his holy place? He that has clean hands and a pure heart. And it goes on. This was followed in verses 7, 7 through 10 by, Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. The people chanting these words could look across the valley and see that Jesus coming and then make the connection with Zechariah 9, verse 9 and chapter 9. Behold, your king is coming. Jesus intended for them to make that connection. Then Matthew tells us some of the crowds spread their garments on the road ahead of him and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the, on the road. The crowds in Jerusalem for Passover were made up of pilgrims from Galilee and Perea as well as the cities itself. Spreading branches and clothing on the, on the road, the people paid homage to the Lord. Their gestures signified that they regarded the king, the Jesus as king and themselves as his subjects. The dramatic entrance and reception was a messianic declaration. The glory of the Lord will drawn from, will drawn from the Mount of Olives. It was an ancient custom 
for citizens to throw their garments in the road for their monarchs to ride over, symbolizing their respect for him and their submission to his authority, almost as if he was riding over their bodies. It was as if to say, we place ourselves at your feet, even to walk over if necessary. While those people were putting their clothes in Jesus' path, others were cutting branches from trees and spreading them on the road. From John uh, 12, uh, verse 13, we learned that the branches were from the palm trees, symbolic of salvation and joy, and picturing the magnificent tribute that the great multitude, which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, one day will present before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches. There was great excitement and ecstasy as the multitude proclaimed uh, praise to the Messiah, to the rabbi from Galilee who taught such authority and healed their diseases and even raised the dead. Remember when we shouted out, Hosanna? Remember what that sounded like? It was like that, only way like bigger than that. Jesus went to the cross for everyone. Jesus didn't just die for a spiritual elite known as the elect. Jesus did for every tribe and language and people and nation. Jesus died for those on the right side of the tracks as well as those on the wrong side of the tracks. Jesus died for those with an elite pedigree and for the orphan. Jesus died for lawyers, bankers, and doctors, but he also died for farmers, soldiers, and ditch diggers. Jesus died for the uncommon and the common. Jesus died for all, the man, all of mankind, friends, that means you and me. And if they accept him in their lives, he will come in and make us children of God. It was a ride that was the center of attention. What guy likes to hear that? What car guy really likes to hear that? Center of attention. Matthew now brings Jesus triumphantly entry into a climax. He shows that even though he was riding on a beast of burden, rather than a stately stallion, that he was the center of attention. In verse 9, Jesus says, excuse me, in verse 9 it says, Jesus was in the center of the procession and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Blessings on those who come, for those who come in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heaven. The Lord was now completely surrounded by a mass of humanity, perhaps several hundred thousand people, some of whom were going before him and some were followed behind him. Can you imagine the throng of people as he was riding down through the town, riding through the streets into the city, people shouting, screaming in front of him, trying to get his attention. All this going on, and he's riding on a small colt of a donkey. Fickle as they would prove to be, the people now disregarded the warning of the chief priests and the Pharisees who had given orders that if anyone knew where Jesus was, he should report it and that they might seize him. The expectations of Messiah would bring deliverances were so great that the crowd became totally caught up in what, from a human perspective, was a frenzy of mob hysteria. The shout, Hosanna, a prayer meaning save us, also appears in the so-called Hillel at the, uh, at the time in Psalms. This collection of Psalms was especially sung during the Passover. Jesus and his disciples probably sang this Passover hymn. The account uh, 26 through 30 indicates that they had sung a hymn before leaving the upper room. Hosanna was originally a call for help and deliverance, often addressed to a king or to God. In addition to other verses, it was customarily uh, to shout and sing 
uh, Psalm uh, 118, chapter, verse 25, Hosanna, during the Feast of Tabernacles, as the people approached the sacrificial altar, carrying their palm branches, also called Hosannas. Because it is an acquired position in the liturgy of the major feasts, it gradually shifted from being a call for help to a cry of rejoicing. This is evident particularly in the, in the following shout of praise to the son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord comes directly from Psalm 118, verse 26, where it refers to all pilgrims traveling to the major feasts of Judaism. Later traditions applied the text in a restricted sense to the coming of Messiah. Hosanna in the highest calls for even the angels to lift their voices in praise. The crowd followed Jesus rejoiced and praised him as the one who had come as the son of David, the Messiah, to fill the promises given to Israel. Then in verse 10, Matthew tells us the entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this? They asked. Only Matthew reports the crowd's enthusiasm for Jesus' entry into the city. The Greek word, excuse me for this, but it's isis, is used everywhere for the word earthquake. That's how excitement, how much excitement there was in the town. Can you imagine the stomping and the yelling that was going on? The excited inhabitants of Jerusalem, unable to see the spectacular entrance and not knowing Jesus, asked, who is this? Remember, this isn't the time before amplified sound, before projectors, before cameras, before video screens. This is everybody on the same playing level field, playing field, and there's 100,000 people in this, in this community. Not everybody could see him, and not everybody knew what was going on, but something was going on. Obviously, most of them had paid little attention to what they had been shouting so passionately. Remember I mentioned earlier the mob frenzy. They heard Hosanna, they knew it was something special, and they shouted out Hosanna, never, maybe never seeing Jesus, never seeing the Messiah, never seeing the event, but they got caught up in that excitement that was going on. They had barely finished proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah, the son of David, who came in the, in the name of the Lord, but they did not comprehend what they said, and when the mass emotions subsided, they were hard put to say who Jesus really was other than a prophet who came from, the Na from Nazareth in Galilee. You see the change? The excitement, the thunderous, the thunderous loud cheering, chanting going on, the stomping of feet. And for those who didn't see what was going on, immediately it switched back off again. That, that crowd mentality. They no longer called him the son of David or praised him as the great deliverer. He was now no more than a prophet. The people knew him, knew, but they would not believe, and because they would not believe, they ceased to know. Like their forefathers to whom Israel pre or Isaiah preached, they heard but did not perceive, and saw but did not understand, because their hearts were insensitive. They heard Jesus' message, they attested to his miracles, and they even acknowledged his divinity, but they rejected his saviorhood, and his lordship. They were totally earthbound, materialistic, and self-satisfied. They were interested only in the kingdoms of this world, not the kingdom of heaven. They would have accepted Jesus as an earthly king, but they would not have him as their heavenly king. Matthew concludes this section with, and the crowds replied, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Not the king, 
not the Messiah. The crowd accompanying Jesus, in essence, replied, This is the prophet, the promised great prophet, whose coming Moses foretold. This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. As a result of his ministry in Galilee, Jesus was now heralded as the son of David. So is Jesus the center of attention in your life? He is also the head of the body of the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the, the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. So what is first place in your life? You can tell this by thinking about how you spend your time. For many of us, the most important things in our lives is our job, family, or simply doing what makes us happy. For some of us, priorities can be determined based on what we do on social media. For others, our priorities can be summed up by what we watch, listen, or read. But the real question we need to be asking ourselves is, where is Jesus on our list of priorities? What do you do when you wake up in the morning? Is prayer, if prayer isn't on the first thing on your list, chances are Jesus is not a priority either. When you pick up your smartphone, tablet, or computer, what's the first thing you do? If it's not reading your Bible, going to a devotional site, your priority is not on Jesus. When you woke up this morning, did you say, yes, we get to go to church today? Or did you say, uh, we got to get to church today? What does that say about your priorities? Remember that if Jesus isn't Lord of all, then he isn't Lord at all. I'll say that again. Because I didn't make this up. <laughs> Remember that if Jesus isn't Lord of all, then he isn't Lord at all. Any car guy will tell you that they live for the moments when someone says to them, nice ride. However, there is no more glorious ride than that donkey ride that Jesus rode into Jerusalem. From Matthew's account of the triumphal empire, we learned that Jesus' ride was a ride of sacrifice, a ride for the working man, and a ride that was a center of attention. Amen.